0: After two decades of pursuing a music career, a 30-year-old Canadian singer named Alana Miles scored a number one hit in 1989 with Black Velvet. While her success continued for years after in the Great White North, she completely fell off the Billboard charts of the United States. This week, we try to determine if the blame for her U.S. decline should fall on the lack of promotion from her record label, or if the rest of Alana's catalog just lacked that slow Southern style.
1: One hit is all you need to make the money guaranteed. And you can live off royalties forever. And it makes me wonder.
0: Is it just a wonder? Or is it one hit thunder? All right, Matt, have you ever gone to karaoke night?
1: Yes and no. I There's a place that's maybe... 25 minutes from where I live in Philadelphia, uh, that's like a Japanese karaoke bar where you're like in your own private room. But I've never gone to like really a open bar karaoke where everybody's wow uh, forced to listen to strangers sing. Never, you know? <laughs> wow. I mean, I've I'm... I've been there once, one time like years ago.
0: Well, but... I've unfortunately stumbled into nights where I'm like, oh, god damn it, karaoke's going <laughs> on. This sucks. But what I'll tell you about it is that there's always, or most of the time, there is a group of people who follow whoever the karaoke DJ is around, like on his rounds, that go there to sing their very best. Which, I guess that's a little better than the drunk people going up there and just ruining it for everybody. (laughs) But without fail, some middle-aged woman will go up there and sing Black Velvet without well, a doubt chris, every
1: time chris i'm so glad that you brought this up because my origin story my my love of this song uh side note this was one that was voted on by the patrons this was one of my picks uh against two of chris's picks wow. so thank you this was an overwhelming win this was like 80 percent of the vote wow. was on black velvet but my first introduction to this song was that when i was a child my mom was the lead singer of a wedding band. And this was like one of the signature songs, which when I'm looking at it now, it was a brand new song. You know, like this was like 1989, 1990 when she was singing Black Velvet in this cover band. But to me, it was one of those songs that just always existed. So I just always assumed it was a much older song. And I also used to always think this was Melissa Etheridge for some reason. Well, that's because Um, Melissa Etheridge does a cover of it. Oh, she does. Yes. Okay, well there we go. <laughs> for years I thought that.
0: It's a, but uh It's a pretty sexy song for a, for a mom
1: to be singing. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> was my Here's the other thing. I'm not sure if we've talked about this. I did not realize how young my parents were when they had me until maybe 5 or 6 years ago. Why? How old you were what they? I mean like Well, so I'm 37 now and they are both not at retirement age of 64 yet. Okay. So, like, my parents were in their 20s when they had me, yeah. and I'm like, yeah, I guess in 20s, that's that's prime singing Black Velvet in a cover band. Sure. <laughs> H- <laughs> yeah. Well,
0: to be honest, Alana Miles wasn't even singing it till she was, like, 30. Yeah. That's something... We'll get into that. We got to get into her whole story, because, dude... In the research for this episode, there's I have so many things to talk to you about. I'm so excited yeah. for this one. I've always been lukewarm on this song. This song always reminded me of, like, what dads in the late 80s would, would like to listen to for some reason. It's, like, this sexy Canadian woman singing this, like song of that sounds like a song of seduction or something but in actuality i i never knew what this song was actually about either which i
1: was shocked to read what this was about and then looked at the lyrics and i'm like oh it's like when you know what it's about it's actually super obvious Yeah, in the song lyrics never knew (laughs) but let's start from the very beginning a lot of miles Born. Before we even, Chris, before we even address Alana Miles' story, I feel like this is one where, in the first couple of minutes, we do have to acknowledge, uh, definitely a United States one-hit wonder yes. to any Canadian listening audiences. We don't want to be Ardened again. <laughs>
0: Arden, <laughs> Arden. It's not Jan Arden. You're, think, you're thinking of Jan when, and Dean, like the surf music. I think Jan listen, Arden. When,
1: I don't care. When their audience comes at us, I'm saying that we've been Dean yeah. <laughs> oh, I don't know where you're
0: getting this extra A in her name. Yeah. <laughs> Much respect to Jan Arden, who wrote <laughs> – her, her tweets are ridiculous, by the way. She wrote something – very she always writes crazy stuff. She likes to protect those horses. So I'll give her respect for she that. She does. Alana Miles, born yes. on Christmas Day of 1958 in Toronto as – not Alana Miles, as Alana Biles with a B. <laughs>
1: which you know what good good call on the name well yeah we'll get to that
0: her dad was a pioneer (laughs) in the canadian broadcasting industry apparently and alana started writing songs around age nine which would have been around 1967 think about how much different music was in 1967 from when this song was popular like
1: 1989 yeah you're right and yeah she would have been wow 20 years, a lot changed in 20 years. The Beatles were still a band when she started writing. Absolutely.
0: (laughs) Uh, By the (laughs) time she was 12 in 1970, she had performed in a songwriting group, which I don't know what a songwriting group is, but uh, by the time she was 18 in 1976, she met Christopher Ward, a very important person, actually, the person who wrote Black Velvet. Uh, He was a recording artist and songwriter with Warner Music Group. And, um, you know, with. Christopher Ward's help, Alana started her own band that performed covers of rock and blues songs. Uh, in the meantime, it, current day, Christopher Ward has written songs for Hilary Duff, Diana Ross, Backstreet Boys, Winona Judd, Peter Cetera, Ann Murray, and Meredith Brooks. But... Black Velvet is his most well-known song.
1: That's a solid resume right there. There is nothing to complain about with that resume. Yeah, Christopher Ward is the real deal.
0: Uh, So at age 19 in 1977, Alana Biles changes her name to her stage name, Alana Miles. Why do you think that is? You think that just rolls off the tongue a little better?
1: I think Alana Biles is too close to like, bile you know like <laughs> like when you think of like gross like yeah. ooze where it's like yeah so my miles just feels better but do
0: you think that maybe <laughs> it was a play on words like a lot of miles like there's a, it could be a lot too. of miles in that drive across canada a lot of miles kind of like a dusty roads kind of situation or something like that
1: right i like th- you know what I don't know if that is what her intention was, but I'm going to say it was because I like that. I like the idea that it's a slight pun. Right. She she also occasionally acted and stuff. Oh, yeah. And of course, because she was Canadian, she appeared on some type of Degrassi spinoff with the Kids of well, Degrassi no, Street. No, it was the
0: origination of oh. Degrassi, the Kids of Degrassi Street. She appeared in 1984. At this point, she's 25 years old and she's playing the role of a mom on the show. Like, she's not even playing a kid. She's already playing a mom. It's from an episode called Catherine Finds Her Balance that aired on November 16th of 1984. The summary of this episode is, when both divorced parents want to come and watch her at the gymnastics meet, Catherine gets involved in some fancy footwork to prevent them from making a scene in front of the whole school. So I can only picture that Catherine is like, Doing one of those things like picture on like
1: Save by the Bell if Zach had two dates and he's trying to like. Yeah, that's exactly. I was, my go to was going to be Mrs. Doubtfire. Okay. Like it right. was going to be like a total, like, oh, having two dinners at the same time type move. Right. Like one parent's right. on one end of the gym and the other's on the other. End. So
0: that's what I picture <laughs> happening. I'll tell you this I couldn't find the episode on YouTube, but I did find an episode. I think it was called like Noel's Suit or something like that. And wow. This it's from 1984. It looks like it's from 1974 because it's Canadian. <laughs> you know like you know how stuff from Canadian always looks like a little different. Like it is the grainiest looking show ever. It's so
1: strange. Well, you also you also have to factor in that kids shows they never want to spend a big ton of money on it. So I'm sure it was like hand-me-down cameras and shit like that to make the show to begin with. Yeah, you can the combination of Canadian and kids slash teen shows immediately means that your show is going to look like 10 years dated out the gate. Dude,
0: it just reminded me of being a kid. Like, I was a little kid in the 80s, but I remember being, like, five or six years old and I'd wake up real early in the morning and put on, like, PBS or something. There'd be these shows that – they're kid shows, but they, like – yeah, they're probably from the 70s, and they look all bad and weird. Like, it's just – go watch it. If you type the kids of Degrassi Street – into YouTube, it'll be the thing that comes up. There's only one. There's a full episode, but it just looks huh? so strange. Uh, anyway, I couldn't find the Lana Miles episode. Uh, way later, we will also mention that she acted in one episode of La Femme Nikita in 2001. <laughs>
1: <So>. <laughs> she also the uh, to kind of tie into the release of the debut album that Black Velvet was on. She appeared on like a TV mini series adaptation of War of the Worlds. Okay. as well. <laughs> right, right.
0: Um, so what I like about Alana Miles story is that her debut album wasn't released until 1989 when she was 30 years old. Like that's
1: a little bit of a, a late start for your
0: debut album. That's kind of like for a man. Yeah.
1: For a guy who cares about paying dues. This is 21 years of pay and yeah. dues before that debut album came out. Yeah.
0: And dude, <laughs> talk about paying dues. She released this self-titled debut album on Atlantic and toured internationally for 18 months. And then mm-hmm. because of her hard work and her songs and, you know, her talent, uh, her album was awarded the Diamond Award for sales of over one million units. She's the only Canadian debut artist to attain that award. And the album has reported to have sold more than six million copies internationally. That is insane. Dude, the,
1: the amount of achievements that she has for um what is essentially like what is a one-hit wonder in the United States. Um, one of the other things is the the power of this song alone, the black velvet song. Which was a number one hit. It was the most played song in both 1989 yeah. and 1990, and in 2005 she received an ASCAP award for uh, re- for receiving over four million radio airplays of that song. Yeah. Um, and also won a Grammy. Yeah. In 1991 for best female rock performance, as well as three Junos, which are the Canadian Grammys. Yeah. Well, like, we're gonna get into the Junos in this episode yeah. too like she she cleaned up on if you were if you were only going to have one hit and you had to base how well you hoped your one hit would be on any artist a lot of miles is a good one to take a look at because for yeah, grammy mil, 4 million airplay award like being the only canadian debut artist to sell like to sell the most records on a debut record like Insane, yeah, insane shit that you get to achieve all in that after, like you said, twenty one years of like putting yourself out there in the music industry. Because even yeah, put the the nine year old thing aside, she met the guy who wrote Black Velvet twelve years before this song was released when she was eighteen. Right, like this is. This is a, a a big example of the benefit of just like not giving up, staying in there, like putting in the work and, and waiting for your moment to shine. Well,
0: let's address the elephant in the room before Canada gets mad at us here. <laughs> this album actually had four top 40 hits. It had a song yeah. called Love Is, a song called Lover of Mine, a song called Still Got This Thing, and of course black velvet
1: Velvet. now love is is the only one that even slightly made an appearance in the u.s charts it was it was a low 30s appearance as the debut single with black velvet being the second single to get released that kind of skyrocketed her on the billboard charts
0: i want to talk about a couple things about the other songs before we dive into black velvet Love is, is like a pretty rocking song. And what I have to say is if you go check out love is on YouTube or whatever, stream it, the bass is so loud in it. (laughs) I don't know how, why the bass is so loud in the mix. I love it. Of course I love loud bass, but it's like unusually loud bass. One thing I noticed about that lover of mine is like a dramatic love ballad song. She's sitting in like tall weeds and then she's like walking on the beach in the video. It's, didn't do much for me, but I got to tell you, Still Got This Thing is a, a rock song, okay? And, dude, do you know the stories about how, I mean, this isn't how I discovered them, but a lot of people discovered the Misfits because Cliff Burton of Metallica famously like wore a Misfits t-shirt, and people were like, what's that? It's like how yeah. a lot of people discovered the Misfits back in the 80s.
1: Yeah. Uh, Early Metallica albums were mostly Misfits cover- ep's you know what i mean like it's they were metallica loved misfits and yeah it's same thing with kurt cobain and daniel johnston okay. you know what i mean like daniel johnson's career is because kurt cobain wore a hi how are you t-shirt well
0: what i want to note about if you go watch the still got this thing music video it's like a performance video and <laughs> the bassist in her band is is wearing a Misfits shirt in the video. And I was thinking to myself how funny it would be if I, if that was my backstory of how I discovered the Misfits. I it was Alana Miles still got this thing music video. Her bass player, her long haired <laughs> bass player was wearing a Misfits t shirt in the video.
1: I was Long, long-haired, long shirtless bass player... Well, shirt-it bass players yeah. love The Misfits. Yeah. That's just a, a fact. Yeah.
0: But <laughs> I, I thought that was pretty entertaining.
1: Okay, let's talk Black Velvet. Before we even get into the lyrics of Black Velvet, I want to talk about something that I thought was really kind of fucked up by Atlantic Records.
0: Oh, well, yeah. Um,
1: just, <laughs> just last week, we came at Columbia Records for their mishandling of primitive radio gods. At Atlantic Records, they took this song... And gave it to a country artist named Robin Lee. And had Robin Lee release an album two months later. And the album was called Black Velvet as well with this cover. And I took the time to watch both music videos for Miles' video and Lee's video. Did you watch both videos? No,
0: I didn't even know about this. You're you're, informing me about it right now.
1: They are basically shot for shot the same video just with a different singer and like they did nothing to change the instrumentation of this song except for maybe the occasional like slide guitar in the background and i'm just sitting there like in their mind they're like well we'll pitch miles as like the rock version and we'll pitch lee as the country version so that we can get on like all these different charts but like all things considered miles version would have been perfectly acceptable as like a late 80s early 90s country song you know i mean like you could have put this on country radio and had her dominating all these charts now obviously robin lee not exactly a household name that blew up because of this type of exposure but still kind of fucked up from Atlanta (laughs) records to like on the on the heels of this girl's big success already have a cover version for a different format getting released through your label oh well dude that's not even what i thought you were going to talk about Alana Miles
0: never received a royalty check for this song until April of 2008. Fuck that record label, dude. Dude, Record
1: labels are garbage. Dude, she (laughs) signed
0: the record deal to Atlantic when she was young. She ended up paying $7 million of expenditures for her first three albums, all deducted out of her take. What she said is she should have been dining out on the success of the song, but instead she was living in poverty at times struggling to pay her rent while this yeah, song was a giant up. hit.
1: Unreal. This is this is why I, you hear nowadays like young bands do not sign a record contract until you've had a lawyer look it over, like pay that money to have someone make sure that they haven't fucked you royally in the legal ease of that contract. Could you
0: imagine having the the song that was played the most on radio for two consecutive years and not being able to pay your rent? Doesn't even yeah. make sense. How,
1: How much would that be mocking you that everywhere you go, you're actually hearing that song while you're like struggling to pay the groceries in the grocery store and the songs playing over the radio?
0: I mean, that's that's insane. I mean, also, I wonder, like from her end. Yeah, I would understand. But what about when she's like playing live and stuff? Are they taking that big of a chunk of that? I I don't know all the details. I'm just going off what she said in a CBC interview in and you know way later but I believe it yeah of course because I I also think
1: that there probably wasn't that much money I don't think people were aware like now I feel like people are informed like oh if you really like this band and you want to help this band out like see them live buy some merch Mm -hmm. at the show that is where they're going to be making the biggest chunk of money Um, I don't think we were aware of that in 1989. We're just like, if they're on a record contract, they must be rich and famous and making billions of dollars. The idea that they would be poor while their song was number one never crossed our minds.
0: It's not a story that's unusual. I feel like there was a story like this about TLC. Was that? Yeah. I mean, obviously, well, I think MC Hammer kind of squandered his wealth maybe, but I mean, it's not an unusual story. It's not strange, Uh, but- It's pretty messed up, and hopefully that's why the major label thing will just go away because it's not really that necessary anymore, right? If you know what you're doing, it might not be that necessary. Anyway, that's a whole other conversation.
1: We got to talk about Black Velvet because, dude, I never knew this was a song about Elvis. This is a song about Elvis. I, I wrote this down. The song is about Elvis, whose portrait is often painted on black velvet. Right. Uh, and who used hair dye known as Black Velvet. Chris Ward, who co-wrote the song and was Miles' boyfriend at the time, was inspired after being on a bus full of Elvis fans riding to Mississippi to attend the 10-year anniversary vigil at Graceland. Yeah. Um, So it's, and you know, you're sitting there and you're like, what the hell are you talking about? How the hell is this song about Elvis? But then you look at the lyrics and, you know, it's, There's a couple lines there like the boy could sing, knew how to move everything, always wanting more. He'd leave you longing for that black velvet and the little boy smile. Yeah. (laughs) Like there's they even bring up love me tender in the middle of the second verse. Yeah, I don't know why (laughs) I
0: never whatever. I always thought I was mishearing the little boy smile thing but little boy yeah. smile is a reference to that's what they said about Elvis that he had a little boy smile I mean I, I saw this from the song facts website like a complete analysis like the Jimmy Rogers on the Victrola up high Jimmy Rogers was a country music pioneer from Elvis's home state of Mississippi who influenced Elvis at an early age the Victrola of yeah. course is a record player mama's dancing with baby on her shoulder is a reference to Elvis's mother the little boy smile black velvet Elvis with that slow Southern style is a reference to how Elvis undulated his hips. There's a reference to Memphis. Up in Memphis, the music's like a heat wave, and it's, it's where Sun Studios was. Mama's baby in the heart of every schoolgirl. That's Elvis. Like yeah, Elvis. love me
1: tender, leaves him crying in the aisles. Yep. The way he moved, it was a sin, so sweet and true, always wanting more and leaving you longing for. Right,
0: and you said, <laughs> like you said, Christopher Ward, he wrote the song. One line that he points out is, a new religion that will bring you to his knees. He said he got the idea for that line after he realized Elvis's effect on fans was similar to what churchgoers would feel after being exhorted by fundamentalist
1: preachers.
0: And yeah. you saw some of that in... Did you see the Elvis movie yet?
1: I haven't yet, but I know it's on HBO Max, so I got to get around yeah, to it. But, but you see, that. I know about I've I know about it. I mean, I've seen plenty of Elvis live performances, and I had my aunt. Uh, well, I guess my my grandmother's sister-in-law is like one of the most die-hard Elvis fans you'll mm-hmm. ever meet. So just hearing her, even in her 90s, talk about Elvis, she's swooning. Yeah. For, for the king.
0: So it's a it's a sexy song about Elvis. Yeah. It sucks that Elvis at this point was dead because Elvis could have done like a duet with Alana Miles on this song. How sick would that have been? I'm not going to lie here, I've become a factor fanatic lately. I'm a busy guy, and getting to eat restaurant quality meals that are ready to heat and eat in two minutes has been amazing. Eating better is easy with Factor's delicious, ready to eat meals. Every fresh, never frozen meal is chef crafted, dietitian approved, and ready to go in just two minutes. You have 35 different options to choose from every week, including Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. And also, there are more than 60 add-ons to help you stay fueled up and feeling good all day long. I've been spreading the word to everyone I know, not just here on the podcast, but in person as well. Factor is the perfect solution if you're looking for fast, premium options with no cooking required. You get as much or as little as you need by choosing your meals every week. Plus, you can pause or reschedule your deliveries anytime. And the math doesn't lie. Factor is less expensive than takeout. Plus... Considering every meal is dietitian approved, it's also nutritious and delicious. So what are you waiting for? Get started today by heading to factormeals.com/1hit50 and use the code 1hit50 to get 50% off. That's code 1hit50, the words one hit and the number 50 that is at factormeals.com/1hit50 to get 50% off.
1: Chris, you've been doing this project where you have been wearing a different shirt every day for the entire year, and a good amount of those are band shirts. Do you have a favorite band t-shirt in your collection that you've worn this
0: year? Oh, that's such a good question. You're really putting me on the spot. What band t-shirt do I love rocking the most? Okay, the first one that comes to mind, which is pretty funny, is this propaganda t-shirt that I have it's like this person ripping their head open and an alien coming out of it it is <laughs> it is like a horrifying t-shirt like I wore it around Halloween time I'm like this feels like a weird shirt to, <laughs> to wear in public <laughs> I remember I wore it like the weekend of Halloween just I think I was stopping to get a six-pack at the gas station and the the lady checked me out she's like, I like your shirt. What is that? I was like, uh, I don't know. It's it's a band I like. <laughs> it, was, it was definitely a weird, bold uh, choice. But yes, I love band t-shirts. I need more and more of them because I think they're a, a great
1: thing to wear. They're classic. They are. They're, there's something about a good... I mean, think of that Nirvana with the smiley face. Mm-hmm. Uh, think about... You know, the Rage Against the Machine shirt just red with the words Rage Against the Machine and nothing else on it. It like, has a Molotov some... co- cocktail on the back. On the back, yeah, yeah. There's there's classic band t-shirts that are almost as iconic as as the bands themselves at this point. Yeah, for sure. And that's why I'm glad that rockabilia.com is the sponsor
0: of our podcast, Matt. Rockabilia.com has over five hundred thousand Items And we're not just talking about, I know we've been talking about t-shirts a lot here, but they have everything. I mean, there's action figures, there's hoodies, there's ashtrays, belt buckles, coffee mugs. I mean, anything you could imagine that is a band or artist related piece of merchandise, they have over 500,000 items on the website. It's an awesome website. And if you go there, rockabilia.com, and use the discount code thunder at checkout, you're gonna get 15% off your order.
1: The other thing, the Elvis connection doesn't stop because I, we're going to jump back into her career for a second, but she put out two more albums with Atlanta. Atlanta.
0: Hey, look, I can back up for a second. We're, we can't move ahead yet. We got, okay. we got to stay in this era for a little bit more. I got to insist, Matt, that you and the listeners go watch Alana Miles in 1990. Watch this on YouTube. She opens the Juno Awards from Toronto's O'Keefe Center. And dude, it is first of all, she comes out rocking. She's like in a bodysuit, like a silver bodysuit, but she's also wearing big leather chaps. Like it is Okay. It is very and she plays that song, The Still Got This Thing For You song. It's like a rock, it's one of those rock songs that reminds me of like If two people, two guys were in the audience who never heard rock music before and then they heard this loud music, they would turn to each other and say, this is rock music. And just (laughs) that's exactly what it reminds me of what's going on during this performance. But then once they get to like the bridge of the song, like the instrumental bridge, the announcer comes on over the performance. The performance continues and it says... Live from Toronto's O'Keefe Center, it's the 1990 Judo Awards with performances by Cowboy Junkies with special guest Lyle Lovett, the Jeff Healy Band, Maestro Fresh West, Kim Mitchell, Millie Vanilli, and Rod Stewart. And then it's followed by the longest list of Canadian celebrities <laughs> that you could ever imagine. <laughs> and listen to some of these names. These sound like a Key and Peel. You know the Key and Peel sketches where they like have the football players say their yes, names? Yeah. <laughs> it sounds like the Canadian Juno Awards version of that. It included names such as Candy Piniella, Ofra Harnoy, Sash Jordan, Murray McLaughlin, Fergus Hambleton, Jane Syberry, and Combe Wilkinson. <laughs> I
1: was like, "This Yo, is incredible." no lie, I love Sash Jordan. Like, Sash like Jordan, I have, you a big Sash Jordan guy? I have a couple Sash Jordan albums. Wow. Sash Jordan is like, you know what Sash Jordan sounds like? Sash Jordan's albums sound exactly like Cassandra's band in the Wayne's World movies. Okay, like it's like that type of like grungy music, but with that like real like tight screaming female vocal over top of it.
0: I no way around it
1: lately I had enough. I had all I could take and I guess I can take that letter Her album rats fucking rules wow. like it is a great record i gave a little when you dropped sash jordan <laughs> sash jordan was not that famous in 1989 Dude, still, sash like. jordan was apparently a
0: canadian celebrity in 1990 also tom cochran was one of the people in that big long list there was oh boy yeah the red rider himself yes absolutely <laughs> uh, i i looked up who some of these people are afra harnoy is an israeli canadian cellist and uh Fergus Hambleton sounds like the most made up name ever is a jazz and reggae songwriter from Toronto. So that's, All so right. these people are real. Uh, <laughs> so I had to rudely interrupt you because I couldn't let you skip ahead. Go, go ahead. Continue, continue. No, no, no. So, career. so
1: yeah. So, so riding high, we, she puts out two more records with Atlantic records and they do all right, critically. Uh, She even gets nominated for another Grammy, but they really make no impression here in the States. Like one of the songs, it was like a ballad with like a 60 piece orchestra backing it. Like it was crazy the stuff that she was doing. But then in 1997, she kind of hangs it up. She leaves Atlantic Records outside of a couple new songs that pop up on a Greatest Hits album. She doesn't really put out anything until 2007 when she puts out... The Elvis Tribute EP. Wow. Which features a new version of Black Velvet and some Elvis cover songs. And that was her slow rolling, her return album in 2008, simply titled... Black Velvet. <laughs> um. she,
0: yeah, okay. She's kind of doing... This is a little Tommy Two-Tone-ish, but... Just a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, you know, she never made any money off the freaking song. So if that's what she had to do, man, that's what she had to do. She like, probably I,
1: pulled a T-Swift move and re-recorded the song to have the new royalties. She
0: she may have. One thing I wanted to note, Matt, in 1997, she somehow terminated that eight-record eight contract with Atlantic and she signed to her manager's label, her manager who helped her get out of that contract. But she released the album Arrival in 1997, and that had a top 40 hit on it called Bad For You, the number four, Bad For You. But that song was written by her, Desmond Child, and Eric Bazillion of the Hooters. Oh, damn. Yeah. <laughs> and unfortunately, I listen to the song. It's not very good. Sorry. <laughs> I mean, go Sorry. go listen to it. Make your own judgment. That's, Dude, I got to... I gotta say this: I love everything about Alana Miles except for her music. (laughs) Yeah, her music.
1: I mean, Black Velvet's cool, but I was hoping there would be another song I liked. (laughs) It's got that cool little blues rock. Like, I think you and I have talked about jazz before, and I think I've talked about this with Matt Milligan on Weird Algorithm. That, like, I have this mixed feeling of blues, especially like white person blues, is real kind of lame at times. But I can't deny that, like the '80s and '90s had these blues-inspired rock songs, like Black Velvet. I think of like Bonnie Raitt's "Something to Talk About." Like, there were some good-ass songs that were using like a blues background to create a, a really cool radio pop song. But I think Black Velvet might be the best of all of them for really having like this has that Elvis blues and country rock and roll-inspired sound. For it. And then, like you said, she's got some like real and songs. So it does feel like it was also stylistically this choice of if we're gonna write a song about Elvis, it should feel a little bit like an Elvis song in its instrumentation, mm-hmm. which is, I mean, my nostalgia for just like knowing the song from my mom singing it is also pretty strong here. But like, I've always really liked this song, even before I knew who actually sang it. <laughs>
0: like, yeah, you know. If I liked
1: blues
0: even a little bit, (laughs) I would probably like this song even more. And as a guy who isn't a blues guy, I still think this song is okay. I think my opinion of it may have been a little bit, you know, whatever, skewed by the karaoke thing. How is (laughs) a kid in the I I just don't I just didn't have a personal connection with this song too much but I can admit it's a pretty good song it definitely has lasted it definitely has stood the test of time like this is still a song that people love like it it hasn't gone away all these years later it's definitely it's definitely pretty rocking
1: let me ask you a question this is a question that we asked a few times before we haven't done this segment in many many months but I was looking at all the different versions of this song. And there's a lot of people who've covered this song, but really no one that was like super noteworthy to me. Mm -hmm. If you could have anybody cover this song, who would you have cover it?
0: Is it too obvious to say that Taylor Swift would have probably done a pretty good job of this
1: song? Taylor Swift would probably have crushed this. I actually was thinking, here's the thing that ran through my head. There are thousands of punk cover albums in the world. And I have never heard a band that is even remotely punk cover this song. And I thought, well, I would only want a female fronted punk slash rock band to cover this. And that's where I landed on one of your favorite bands. I think Paramore could do a fucking phenomenal version of black velvet. Well, actually.
0: yeah. I mean, Haley would blow her ass. <laughs> Sorry, a lot of miles. <laughs> Haley Williams would <laughs> blow you away on the vocal performance. And a lot of miles <laughs> does a great job. It's just, I think Haley's one of like the all time greats to be honest. Dude, have you seen Alana Miles perform this song in recent years?
1: I didn't. I was looking for live videos, and I didn't find nearly enough that I that I wanted to. Well, I kept clicking videos that I thought were live performances, and they were just different versions of the music video people would upload. Well,
0: here's it. what I'll tell you. I watched a performance of this from a TV appearance. I don't know what it was on. I don't know if it was a Canadian show or what, but in 2015. And now when she does this song, it's a different arrangement. It's like more of like an electronic kind of like take away the blues and replace it with funk. It's like an a slightly more funky electronic version of it. Still about the same tempo, but I think I like it more. I think it's like a cooler take on it, like a more modern take on it. And she's not, when you watch her old performances, she's, like, running all over the stage. She's real crazy. Now she kind of, like, sits down or stays in place. I read that it was because she had a back injury at some point. But she still sounds great, and she has, like, a really cool Cruella DeVille-type hair now. She has, like, the, the white streak in her black curly hair, and I think it looks really cool. Like, if I was... A woman and I had hair. <laughs> that would probably be the hair I wanted. I think that she, was the
1: route you would take. Yeah, yeah. I think
0: she looks pretty awesome. She sounds great. And I think the version she does of the song now, it actually makes me like the song more. Nice. Yeah. Oh, Matt, there's one thing I want to mention. I tried to go to Alana Miles' website, which it doesn't exist. It's like you go to it and it's just like a blank white page. But I went to her Facebook page and in one of her most recent posts, like maybe 10 posts ago, she posted a newspaper article from the Toronto star in September of 1991. And the article was all about their poll for the sexiest man and the sexiest woman, like Canada's sexiest man alive and Canada's sexiest woman alive for the year. And because she posted it, because she won the sexiest woman of 1991 in Canada, Michael J. Fox won sexiest man, Canada's sexiest man of 1991. And I just thought it was so funny who they each beat out. Who they beat. So Michael J. Fox won over Wayne Gretzky and Brian Adams. <laughs> and, <laughs> and Alana Miles beat out Ann Murray, who, Ann Murray, I'm like, isn't she? I just always think of her as like this older woman. I don't know. Maybe she was younger than, I mean, obviously she was yeah. Celine Dion. And this is the funniest Shannon Tweed. And how, <laughs> yeah, I didn't know Shannon Tweed was Canadian, but I will tell you, I definitely think Shannon Tweed was like one of the first naked women I ever saw. She was, in, <laughs> she was in every like softcore porn thing on cinemax like every single one of them so good job by Alana Miles being Yeah that's a
1: that's a huge achievement right there. Canada's sexiest woman nineteen ninety one. It's always good to hear. All right well I think it's time for the big question though Chris. Yeah. Thunder Blunder here with Elena Miles. Alana Miles It's embarrassing. It's embarrassing to be my mouth.
0: <laughs> You're getting everybody <laughs> like... drunk with Matt DeStepano's game every week. <laughs> Elena Miles on Atlanta Records. <laughs> <laughs> you know, respect the hustle. Respect the slightly later than the norm rise. You know, this wasn't like she was 17 years old with this song. She was a woman. She was a 30-year-old yeah. woman. And this is a very womanly song you know this is like a. Th- this sounds like a woman in her 30s singing this song This like sounds like a woman who's seen some shit you know yeah <laughs> the, and the, you you feel that in the delivery you feel that in the performance of this song and i think that's what appeals to all the i mean <laughs> it seems like a song that middle-aged women love you know and yeah. and men but It really appeals to, I mean, go to this karaoke. It's always a middle-aged woman singing this and like really feeling it. But, oh, dude, I mean, and I respect her like battling and finally getting paid for this song. And she really puts her all into her performances when I see them. And I just wish I liked another song. Dude, I dove in and the ballads are so like fluff. And then the rockin' songs are like how I explained them, like, this is rock music. Like it seems like songs that will be written by a fictional band in a movie or something like where it's (laughs) like, it just, you know what? I'm going to push past that and say that this song has stood the test of time. She's kind of reinvented a new version of it. Go check it out on YouTube that it was a performance from 2015 or so that I saw. I'm on the fence, but I'm going to say thunder. I, I, I really learned to like her as a person and and like her story and liked her perseverance. And that kind of outweighs the fact that I don't really like everything else I heard in her catalog. And that, that could just be a taste thing on my part.
1: No, I think I'm going to 100% agree with you. Like I'm going to give her thunder because I love this song. It's a very special song to me. I love, like you said, the perseverance, the like 21 years from the time she started singing, she just never gave up on this. And you know, being a 30-year-old woman with your first single in 1989 at a time where I don't think we were giving a lot of you know we we still live in a day and age where a woman turns 35 and the world acts like they're aged out of whatever career path they're in so like there's a lot of impressive stuff that she was able to pull off and I didn't dislike the other songs as much as you did i mean i also didn't find anything that i loved as much as black velvet but i just can't i can't with good conscience though a blunder on someone who created such like who is part of such a giant iconic nostalgic song in my life
0: yeah i mean this song lives on people love this song i might like this song you know i'm lukewarm it's not like i ever said like oh i oh i hate black velvet or something i was always kind of like ah you know and I think that could just be my aversion to blues. Like, it's not something that I've ever connected with, really. So, yeah, Thunder, man. One life is a timely gift. Who knew it would make him sick? Halfway when he found his list of life-long goals.
1: And now This has been One Hit Thunder. One Hit Thunder is hosted by Chris Ophelios of the band's Punchline, Pack, and Another Cheetah and produced by Matt Kelly of Geekscape.net. Underneath me, you're hearing the Punchline song, The Other Piano Man, off their album, Just Say Yes. Visit punchline.com for merch, tour dates, and news. We're on Patreon now. Become a patron and get bonus content, early episodes, and a chance to vote on future episodes at patreon.com backslash OHTPodcast. Do you want to start a podcast? Contact Chris and myself at weknowpodcasting.com for how we can make your show sound as professional as possible. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to us on your favorite podcasting apps. And tune in next week for more One Hit Thunder.
0: That's
1: Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hello. Tom May here, host of Future Friday. I've spent the last 15 years on the road with my band, The Menzingers, where I've met all kinds of wild and fascinating people. So I started a podcast. On Future Friday, I talked to fellow musicians about the moments that made them, their passions outside of music, and the curiosities that tie us all together. I've also talked to the likes of UFO researchers, magicians, soldiers, and documentary filmmakers, and I'm constantly searching for folks that can shape and change our view of the world. You can check out Future Friday wherever you like.